Welcome to Consilience, an African science podcast, brought to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Consilience is a weekly podcast dedicated to promoting reason, skepticism, and a scientific worldview in Africa and beyond. Welcome to Consilience. Today is August the 8th, 2012, and I'm Owen Swart. Joining me today are Michael Meaden. Hello. And Chris Sham. Saluton. And with a bit of luck, we'll have Anton. Saluton. I'm, I'm learning uh, uh, Esperanto. Nice. Or bien? Bueno? What, I don't even know what bo, it is. Bo, bo, bon, bon something. Bon why, ah, bon why, why don't you just le- learn a real language? Like Klingon? Yeah. No. Majka. Was that fuck you? No. It, was, it sounded like it. it was, oh, everything sounds like fuck you in Klingon. That's, that was, that's the point of the no, language. That was awesome. That's what that meant. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, your mother's forehead is smooth. Okay, I'm impressed. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and with a bit of luck, uh, Angela Meaden will be joining us a bit later. Maybe. Maybe. All right, well, let's get started with teaching Angela to appreciate history. All right, and it falls to me. And on this day in 1576, which is a while back, yeah. the cornerstone for Tycho Brahe's Uraniborg Observatory Observatory, <laughs> observatory <laughs> uh, was laid down in Hven. And now you're just making things up. <laughs> okay, so this observatory um, in Hven, and Hven is an island that was given to Tycho by the King of Denmark, King Frederick II. Nice. And it's it's just north of Copenhagen in modern day uh, Sweden. It's good and to be the king. Yeah. You get to give islands away. And it's good to be the friends, the friend of a king because yeah. then you get islands. Evidently. And so Tycho was an exceptionally rich Danish um, nobleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw an estimate on Wikipedia that he owned 1% of the wealth of Denmark at the time in hmm. the 1580s. So, so it was. So he was the 1%. So he was, yeah, he was the 1%. So he was really, really wealthy. But he also became exceptionally famous. Um, and he's an important figure in the history of science because he conducted extremely accurate astronomical um, observations. Mm. And now don't think of astronomical observation as in look through a telescope because the telescope was only invented in 1608 wow. and only employed um, for astronomy by Galileo Galilei, I think in, in 1609 or 1610 or so. Yeah, um, so he did naked eye observations, so using instruments and so on. That sounds sexy. Um, <laughs> but not a telescope to work out the exact positions to a, well, not exact because he was still off by several arch arc minutes mm-hmm. in most of his um, observations, but he was far more accurate than anyone else in the history of astronomy. Mm. So Up until that point. Up until, yeah, up until that point. Um, obviously, we now have far more accurate star charts, mm-hmm. as you'd hope. But he used literally just his um, his naked eye and and a, and a couple of of instruments, and worked out the positions of a lot of the visible universe, and that disproved things like the um, Aristotelian view of the universe, which was an unchanging system. So. I mean, we've talked about it many times mm-hmm. before, but the sort of classical um, 
Christian Western view of the universe was that it was, it was a static universe. It was a perfect universe. Mm. Um, and the heavens were unchanging because everything in the super luminary uh, sphere, which is anything above the moon, never changed and moved around in perfect circles, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et and there are all sorts of philosophical underpinnings to that that you could look into if you like. Um, and what he showed was that um, things like supernovae occurred mm-hmm. um, that demonstrated that new things happen in the heavens and they cannot be astro- um, atmospheric phenomena. Mm. Because they must be above the moon, they must be further away than the moon. Hence the hence the name Nova, which means new. New, exactly. As a new star. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And he observed one in fifteen seventy two. And um his assistant was a guy by the name of Johannes Kepler. Oh. You might have heard his name. Oh, you might recognize that name. <laughs> and Kepler, of course, is famous for working out the laws of planetary motion, right. which Newton would later build on to come up with the laws of universal gravitation, etc., the laws of motion and so on. But Kepler um, was, he literally worked for for Tycho Brahe, and he used Brahe's far more accurate observations to do his calculations Mm -hmm. and work out the laws of planetary motion. Ah, I see. So that is our history. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Thank you for that. Cool. There was something very important about Tycho I missed. What was he that? had an awesome, awesome set of facial hair. He also had a gold nose. <laughs> and uh, an elk. Oh, yes, a pet elk. He had an elk. Did he have a gold nose? And the pet yes. elk got drunk one night at a party and fell down the stairs or something. Yep. Yep. Wow. That's awesome. Yep. He sounded like a fun guy. Yeah. So, hello, everybody. So, hey, good good evening. Yay. Who are you again? I'm your wife, you jackass. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> um... I don't know. I can't remember. It's been a while. Hello, I'm Angela Meaden, and I'm joining you now. Awesome. Temporarily. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All right, then. So, um, uh, let's move on to our updates. Yeah. Let's do it. So, our first update uh, is about a story that we covered a few episodes back, uh, looking at the, the education crisis in Limpopo province, where people just were not being delivered their textbooks and that kind of nonsense, which is just infuriating and terribly bad and that kind of stuff and, and new things have happened chris you, you know a bit more about sure this. i can tell you some things uh in particular parliament has rejected the department of basic education's catch-up plan that that they were legally mandated to come up with for the situation um it seems that the inadequate plan that we were discussing back in episode 52 where they were just going to hand out some study guides and that was you know send the kids home to fill in their missing education on their own. The, even that's not really in the plan anymore. Really? Um, there's, wow. there's not really no. anything in the plan. So Parliament has very, very rightly rejected this. It's a good plan. Um, mm. Yeah. Yesterday I read a headline that they discovered 5,000 abandoned 5, more. textbooks, but actually in good condition. Just sitting out in the middle of a felt somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. That's service delivery in Limpopo. Mm. So yeah. that, I don't even understand how that happens. How does, when there's a known shortage of, and there's an issue with textbooks, how do 5,000 textbooks just end up in a field? Uh, somebody put those textbooks in that field. Who was that? Who was that guy? Probably the person who was tasked with the, delivering them in the first place and just didn't do it. Yeah, look, there's, there's, there's a couple of possibilities. One is that they got lazy in the first place, uh. you know, just took the money and ran. Uh. 
The other possibility is that they have been sitting in maybe some other storehouse or something, mm. and this is getting into a little bit of tinfoil hattery, but seems yeah. appropriate here, yeah. that they were intentionally hidden in the last, let's say, month or so, when it was discovered that, you know, being shown to have all your textbooks sitting in a warehouse was bad for your uh, career. Wow. So it's possible, but I haven't had any confirmation. It's disgusting. Some people need some punches in their dicks. <laughs> yes. I think you should get onto that, Owen. Yeah. I think, I'll, I think I'll take a drive down there and go punch some people in their dicks. <laughs> you just want any excuse to touch dicks. I need to punch them. <laughs> like in that movie. Cockknocker? <laughs> Dude. I don't watch movies like that. Oh, Cockpuncher. There was another one. There was you a whole have too much movie. free time. Steven Seagal, he was the cockpuncher. There was a... Cockknocker was... Uh, oh, that was from, from Jay and Silent yeah, Bob. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. No, the Steven Seagal one that was in uh, the Onion movie. That was awesome. The Onion uh, movie? Yeah. There was an Onion movie. The Onion made a movie? Yeah. How, why don't I know about this? Uh, probably because I haven't given it to you yet. You must give it to me. That okay. sounds awesome. It, it is awesome. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to another update, which, which is also a news story. So we may as well start our news segment now. So let's do that. So, so Michael knows something about this story, which is something about a robot. What? No, no robots. No robots. No, uh, nothing to see here. Keep moving. Oh, all right then. Okay. All right. So, so obviously the the big news that you already know is that Curiosity, aka the Mars Science Laboratory, has safely landed on Mars. Yay! Awesome. Huzzah. And even the cat is happy yeah. that 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 has happened, and. Which is awesome because it had this super duper complicated landing system that I was absolutely convinced until the day it actually landed, it was just going to crock the thing. Yeah. Because the thing to understand about going to Mars is that most missions fail. I think yeah. mm. a, a good majority of them have failed. So the Russians and the Americans have been trying to send, um, you know, landers to Mars for a very long time. And then, yeah. Yeah. then they do things like, you know, don't convert from metric to imperial right, correctly right. and then they crash into the surface and all well, sorts of crazy... F- European feet instead of American <laughs> feet because there's a difference apparently. Yeah. But also, also a lot of them have just died for communication failures. So yeah, ev- yeah. everything works, that one system goes, you can't control it, it dies. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's it's a really hard place to go. I mean, it's really close to us comparatively. Mm. It's I mean... Jupiter is much further away, for yeah. example, but for some reason, the everything we send there tends to, well, a lot of the things we send there tend to die. So I was actually convinced because this thing was going to deploy the world's largest ever parachute to be used in a spacecraft um, upon entry into the atmosphere of Mars and mm. then use this super-duper James Bond hover system and it's, it's going to lower, lower down, repel, and then... It was 76 different uh, uh, explosive bolts that had, all had to work. And wow. and then it would... I, I, don't know, I was convinced the thing was going to crash. But it mm. didn't. Yeah. It was epic. Victory. It, it yeah. landed absolutely perfectly. It did. It couldn't have gone better. Good and job, NASA. Yeah. Good job, NASA Mohawk guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, there's was more than one guy involved. Yeah. Well, he, he was flight director. Really? Yeah. Mohawk guy. Mohawk guy is flight director. Yeah, so, so so for the listeners who haven't seen it, there's this uh, this internet meme of, of Mohawk guy who's a guy from the JPL. It is the JPL, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, who's sitting there and he's got a Mohawk and he's got his headset on and 
uh, and shaved into the back of his head is the little Starfleet symbol, which is awesome. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah the, Starfleet symbol? The little thing behind his ear. That's it's a star. Symbol. It's not a Starfleet symbol. No, it's, it's a star. No, yeah, it's, it's a Starfleet symbol. No, it's, no, it's, it's meant it's, to be a sp- Star Spangled Banner thing. No, it's a Starfleet symbol. Whatever. Yeah. It's a combat. It's obviously a combat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so so anyway, so it's it's safely landed after this perilous journey etc and it demonstrated some really cool new technology we that we might be able to use on other things but that's not the exciting part the exciting part is that we now have a 2.5 billion dollar science lab on mars epic nuclear Yay. powered yeah nuclear powered <laughs> nice. science lab that awesome. um for the first nuclear. time since the 1970s will be able to answer directly with a life exists now or once existed on Mars. Mm. And the interesting thing about where it landed, and we've discussed this in previous episodes when we uh, talked about the decision to land in the Gale Crater. Mm. And the Gale Crater is it's obviously a crater. It formed something like 3.5 billion years ago. And the interesting thing is that it has complicated geology. So uh, Curiosity is going to go up what NASA are calling Mount Sharp. It's uh, the the international astronomical union actually does cause it something else it's um i forget their name for it it's, it's the official name of the thing is i think mons aeolius or something like that but anyway nasa's calling it mount sharp mm-hmm. doesn't that mean <coughs> mountain of the dark bit around the nipples <laughs> that's what i also thought but it's actually named after a bit of ancient greece yeah. and a dark bit around your nipple is your areola yeah areola yeah Carry on. My, one Thanks. of my favorite parts Thanks. of the human body. Thanks, Angela. <laughs> the, the female update. Oh. Will, you, will you demonstrate? <laughs> I'll show you later, baby. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, blah, blah. Okay, Mount, uh, Mount Chop. I'm just going to call it Mount Chop because I can't pronounce the other name. Sure. So the interesting thing is it will have sort of a geological history. So if you can imagine, like, like if people want to study fossils, say they go to mountainsides mm-hmm. because you see long you know, long periods of history. So things are revealed. Yeah. Yeah. Things are revealed because you can study Uh, a long period of time. Yeah. You can see multiple layers of rock. Exactly. And the previous science missions have demonstrated that the area around um, Mount Sharp was formed or once had abundant water. Mm. So it's entirely possible that, you know, Curiosity could stumble across a fossil. I mean, awesome. that would be. I would officially have a nerdgasm. I, I would have a nerdgasm followed by an orgasm, followed by a braingasm, followed by. A gasmgasm. <laughs> an orgasmatrongasm. <laughs> but yeah, it, it could in principle. But obviously, that's not its. It's, it's highly unlikely. It's, not, yeah, it's, it's mm. not the expectation of the thing, obviously. They didn't send it there. Oh, let's look for fossils. Yeah. But it's, they should. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to need far more of them. I mean, if you send them the thing out just on Earth, you're not going to find fossils. Oh, that's true. So okay, make more. Yeah, let's do it. Come on, guys, yeah. get on that. Another hundred. So, um, it's landed. And what is Curiosity doing at the moment? Well, all sorts of boring stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, it's doing a health check, and it's going to spend about a month doing that. So, there is a essentially it's essentially a blog uh, that NASA are updating regularly every day on Curiosity's progress. And it's currently on in day two of its 
of its system check and it's doing things like it's um it's testing its high gain antenna and it's making yeah. sure it's pointing in the right direction right. and um it's turned on its rover environmental monitoring station instrument and it's it's deploying, deploying its head beam thingy majig, and oh. it's deploying its uh, mast cam, which is going to be awesome because we're going to get panoramic, nice color pictures, and, and it's mixing martinis. Yeah, and when does it deploy its laser? Soon, I think. Awesome, and curiosity killed again. It does have a laser, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Cool. Yeah, it's got a bitch ass laser. Yeah, but but the laser is really important because then you can sample things from a distance and then determine yeah. is that worth going to visit up close or not. And then yeah. if it does find life, it can kill it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, when the, when the Martians attack it for its women, yeah. <laughs> it can defeat itself with a laser. <laughs> Mars needs. Let's <laughs> see. Ah, so, so uh, headline on I think it was Daily Mash. Uh, NASA celebrates successful invasion of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. It did look a lot like a flying saucer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and the very, very latest, which has literally happened between the time I did the research for this and we were recording, is they've released a whole bunch of NavCam pictures, awesome. including the most detailed picture yet, which. It's it's still it's black and white unfortunately, but it's it's very pretty. It's just showing absolutely gorgeous landscape, desert yeah, landscape, yeah. and I just wish I could go there. Obviously, I'd die if I did, hmm. but I wish I could go there and just look. Wear, yeah, wear a bigger hat. Yeah, yeah, a larger hat than your current one will bigger probably hat be fine. And just hold my breath for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Wear a jacket or two, mm, mm. five, yeah, fifteen. And a magnetic bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. That would help. Anyway, so it's really awesome. I I don't think there's much point in us, you know, doing the very latest because by the time yeah. this podcast comes out, just go look at the JPL's Curiosity website. Yeah. Subscribe to the RSS. Yeah, we'll post it. Um, yeah, and sure. that's really awesome. And I mean, I, I just. I just have to convince people, I think, because I sometimes hear skepticism about it and people got attached to spirit and opportunity. Right. And those were awesome little rovers. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And they've, they did they've an got, amazing job. Yeah, they did. Mm. And, and one of them is still, is it spirit uh, or opportunity still think, going? I think opportunity is still yeah. going. Yeah. Okay, so opportunity is still going yeah. how many years later, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, it's gone for years longer than expected. Mm. So it's awesome. But this new this new guy, Curiosity, is just so much more awesome on every single level. It's mm-hmm. much bigger. It can travel faster, further. It doesn't rely on solar power. And the little rovers only survived because of cleaning events, because yeah. of whirlwinds and stuff would clean its its solar panels once in a while. Yeah. Um, but this thing is relying on nuclear power, on nuclear decay, essentially. And um, it, it just has much faster hardware, and it has a much bigger suit of instruments. Mm. And sweet, sweet, yes, a much bigger suite of sweet. They've he's got sweet instruments. Oh. <laughs> um, so does she or he? I don't she. Know. she, I suppose. Um, we'll link to uh, the, probably the best article I've I've yet to find is the Wikipedia one, just mm. listing all the instruments: ChemCam, ChemMin, Dynamic Albedo, Neutrons, Hascam, MastCam, Master Saint Imager, etc., etc. Awesome. L- literally listing and. Wikipedia goes as far as to have a whole separate article on, for example, MastCam. Right. Nice. So it's, I mean, it's just awesome. So 
it's a beautiful piece of engineering mm. and it's going to bring back all sorts of cool images for us science geeks to look at and a lot of cool data for the scientists to look at and hopefully it's going to answer mm. deeply important questions about you know the mm -hmm. history yeah. of Mars and and hopefully it's going to find life. Yeah. It, and it, it, I'm I'm going to put my money on it won't but it will be so cool if it does. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's not going to but hopefully it will also determine the habitability of Mars for future human missions. Yes, sure, yeah. sure. For when we go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I have to mention something else that happened today that just pissed me off. Mm -hmm. So in South Africa, we have this newspaper. It's a pretty, I mean, it's a decent newspaper called mm -hmm. Business Day, mm -hmm. in which they they posted a poll on the the newspaper. And there was, the, you guys already know about this, but mm -hmm. there, there's also an, an editorial I'll tell you about in a second. The, the poll was, okay, so Curiosity has just landed. What is it going to discover? Life on Mars or, well, that's option one, or two, we're alone in the universe. <laughs> the, no. Those are the two Only, options listed uh. as an answer to the question, what will Curiosity that discover? Is the dumbest <laughs> shit ever. So, well, I'm, we I'm assuming they think that Curiosity will be able to tell whether there's life on a planet in the Andromeda galaxy. Yeah. yeah of course. Well, that's what it's for, right? Well, once, right. It, once it's done looking at all of Mars, it'll then go to <laughs> oh. uh, Europa, and then, <laughs> then, then go Enceladus. to Titan. And then every other planet ob ob we've obviously, discovered. Obviously, the editors know full well that um, there must be life somewhere else uh, in, in the universe. It's, yeah. it's, it's mathematically almost uh, uh, certain. Uh, therefore, they're saying that they have high confidence that um, Curiosity will find life on Mars because the, the other option is clearly nonsense to them. It uh, must be that one. I, yeah. think, I think you're giving their web editor <laughs> too much credit there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I wrote them a snotty letter. Yeah. And I also wrote them one. Mm. I, I've been enjoying the, the mainstream media coverage a little bit. I mean, I generally try to shy away from it, but I happened to catch a couple of minutes of CNN yesterday morning, sort of just after Curiosity had landed. And just the most ridiculous stupid nonsense I mean, it's like they've forgotten that every other martian mission has happened mm. it's like this is this is the first time we've been to Ever. mars yeah <laughs> i mean there are there are four other missions currently active at mars but no mm. this is the first one this is the only important one we, 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 we've got earlier missions taking photographs of this mission yes, exactly yes. such a fantastic yeah. shots by the way awesome yeah. yeah one of the questions she asked was something like she, uh, this this silly reporter, I don't remember her name, but one of the presenters on CNN was trying to f frame this as the, the, the old uh, Cold War space race. And she oh, was saying God. something like, so, so what, is the, uh, what is the size of the investment that Russia is making in this competitive race to get to Mars first? I was like, what? oh my God. You're, Look, you're 20 serious. years behind the times. 40. Yeah. <laughs> sure. There, there, there is, as far as I know, plans for a, a, a Russian Mars mission. Um, yeah, the yeah. Russians it's, it's, can't even get into orbit at the moment. Yeah, they, they, they haven't done anything like <laughs> yeah, that in can. a long time. And the Americans can't. can't. Sure. The Russians launched a satellite, well, they launched a rocket with two satellites yeah. in it yesterday or the day before, mm. and it failed to enter its orbit. Yeah. And that's the second thing that time that that's happened to them in the yeah. last year. Phobos Grunt, I remember that. Didn't, yep. that didn't so make they it. can't uh, get into orbit. Yeah. Mm. No, they're... they're, they're so no, I mean, that, that, that's a bit of a, an exaggeration. They, yeah. they, they have had some failures, but most of their launches go well. They 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 do a lot of launches. Yeah. Um, I'm allowed to exaggerate, yeah. but, but you are. But I'm allowed to be pedantic and counter. <laughs> uh, just in terms of just in terms of getting to Mars, Russia has a, a terrible track yeah. record of, of making it there. But they were the first ones. Mm. They got stuff to Mars before America did. 
Mm. I reckon Elon Musk and SpaceX are going to get us there, have live people on Mars, they reckon, within the next 15 years. Look, there's, there's no way. It's it's possibly a topic, because it's a big topic for maybe another episode, but mm. uh, there's the Mars One uh, project, yes, yeah. which intends to start sending people there 2013. Mm. Mm. And I don't think they're going to make that deadline. No. It, it, it does sound like a good yeah. plan anyway, which yeah. is worth discussing at a later point. I mean, the, the fundamental limitation, and I always sound like a grouch when I say this, is you can't put people in space without them dying. Right. Because if you put people in space, Fiddly details. they Fiddly details. die from radiation. You need yeah. like a meter of lead around them, which yeah. is too expensive to take to space. Or water or a magnetic shield. Yes. yes. But all that stuff we can't do. Mm. Yes. So water is too expensive and we don't have a magnetic shield. Yes. Well, we're getting there. Yeah. All we need is a large hadron collider. The, 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 the guys who are doing <laughs> the asteroid mining, we need them to get water from asteroids that you can yes. use for your Mars. Uh, so it's nice. already in there that. That's what we need. You, you, you just need everything that, lining up. Right. That, that, yeah. That's a good plan for like 2050. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a long time. <laughs> I agree. No, I, I watched the landing of Curiosity Live yesterday and mm. streamed it on Ustream mm. and it was fantastic. I also saw mm. it. Yeah, it was I awesome. Was, I was crying. I was so excited. Awesome. Wasn't it Monday? Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that's it was, right. It was Monday. Sorry. Monday. I, I don't go to work at the moment so <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of the days yeah. all kind of blur together. One day is the if, same if as it, every other. No, if it was in the recent past, it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> the near future is Just, tomorrow. I, I love <laughs> the happiness of these people as, yeah, as they celebrate Have a look at YouTube and go find it because mm. it's so awesome because these people have spent a decade of their lives in many mm. cases on yeah. this one project. Yeah. And then with this, what is it, seven minutes of terror? <laughs> <laughs> and then when it wins, they just ecstatic Indeed. it was wonderful and that first picture came down and they were all jumping and cheering and hugging it was awesome mm. such a happy moment for science yay science cool so that's curiosity go curiosity yay you can tell we we're excited right mm-hmm. a little bit alright so Chris is going to tell us about how single celled life specialized into multicellular life yes yes um, how did that happen we don't know Oh, but right. Oh, right <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> oh, all right. But uh, yeah, there's an interesting bit of research that came out uh, from Michigan State University mm-hmm. uh, looking at computer simulations. So not, not real stuff, but it, it gives us an interesting idea of how it could have been done. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at how um, large groups of single-celled life forms, all of the same species, could have um, divided labor between, between themselves. Each each one doing different work that serves the the, the group as a whole, mm-hmm. um, and as a result, um, the 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 whole group benefits more than if they'd each been trying to do multiple things on their own. Right, right. Um, and once once you've started down that path, it's it's a relatively simple um, step to to having everything. That's that's specializing in one task. Start evolving to be better at that task. Everything doing a different task, evolving towards that task until you actually form um, lots of different cells that are dependent on each other, different from each other, mm-hmm. but all working together as a, as a single unit. And that's basically a multicellular life form. And they've done a simulation that that shows this working very very nicely. Awesome. Um, it's not a particularly new idea, but it's the first time I've heard of it, and it's uh, it's a uh, um, it struck me as uh, very clever, very, very simple and uh, efficient and um, very much like the whole of evolution. The, the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what like the thing that then happens? And then uh, there's that other thing afterwards. I've, I've gone, 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 <laughs> blank, gone blank on basic Darwinian. But there's a, there's a jellyfish that, that is 
demonstrably made up of separate creatures. Different species, yeah. 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 No, look, uh, the, 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 the point is that we do definitely have today plenty of life forms that rely on division of labor. Yeah. Yeah. Humans, for example, at, at a social level, yes, we, we divide labor, you know, uh, you do uh, plumbing, I'll do um, mm. quantum physics or whatever. Well, even at a biological level, I mean, we outsource at a lot At a biological, of, you know, yeah. That's also our, our digestion to, to microbes. Sure, sure. Um, yep. we, we, we divide even, you know, uh, between different humans biologically, right. the females do the reproductive stuff right, and, right. And, and the males, what do the males do, Mike? Drink beer and fart. It's <laughs> <laughs> an important part. Um, Thanks, baby. So, yeah. <laughs> Go to work and make money. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Division of labor, very well-known um, thing, but the, the, the twist here is that it's division of labor among single-celled life forms mm. before there even were multi-celled life forms. Awesome. Uh, it's not the only theory of, of how this might have um, happened, how that, that change could have happened. Mm -hmm. This one actually goes back to uh, um, uh, a theory called the colonization theory, yeah. which uh, was originally devised by uh, Ernst Haeckel, who okay. we, we, we covered back in episode 43. Mm -hmm. um, there is also the symbiotic theory, where you have different unicellular cells mm -hmm. uh, of different species. And because they're of different species, they're already doing different things. And right. it just by dumb luck happens to be that, that uh, doing these things around each other, they benefit more than if they did these things separated is into that, their separate species. Is that right. endosymbiosis? Um, it's where the, the cells merged. So eukaryotic cells uh, formed when two prokaryotic cells, one essentially... Ate the uh, the other, and then it stayed inside. Yeah. That's endosymbiosis. It, it, it might have involved that, but it doesn't necessarily. Uh, the, the, there could have been something else that bound them together once they were already working together. Mm -hmm. um, then there's the cellularization theory, where a single type of cell, um, just all on its own, starts forming internal divisions, mm. um, and each of those internal divisions behaves in a different way and and does different tasks. Right. Right. Um, and it's possible that all of these are right or that, that um, some combination of them is right, uh, mm. possibly even something we haven't thought of is right. <clears throat> it's difficult to get physical proof of this sort of stuff because we're talking about a change that happened roughly a billion years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. and cells, individual cells, don't fossilize that well. Mm. But it's interesting to, to think about what is possible, what could yeah, have happened, yeah. how it might have gone. Sure, yeah. awesome. So, the, I mean, the paper is, is published in... PNAS, which is quite prestigious, but obviously the most important thing to realize, which is what Chris just said, is it's it's computer simulation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we lack any other kind of evidence, really. Mm -hmm. So, unless we try to recreate those organisms and breed them live in the well, lab and I, try I, to recreate it, I suppose. I, I had one thought, mm -hmm. which is that if you do computer simulations of all the different possibilities, you should get some sense of what physical clues you might be able to find, and then you go looking yeah, for those. So it's, it's, it's as as a pop, you know a stepping stone. It might help. Mm. Sometimes they use genetic um, DNA coding to see how things were. Right, another possibility. But also, I mean, okay, you say it's a, a computer simulation, but it's not like it's a computer simulation of a wild idea. Mm. It's a computer simulation of something that you know we're. We, we see Goes. examples of in nature, mm -hmm. and right. there's no reason to that it's it's like completely yeah sure yeah, against as, as the, the flow of science of the scientific. As I said, it's a, a very elegant 
easy to understand idea. And yeah. it, it makes a lot of sense. It still might not have been the, the right thing. It could have been something low probability that mm. just by dumb luck happens. Right? Mm. But, yeah. but elegant, easy to understand things are often false. Sure. Well, sure, but yeah. but they're also often right as well. So it's well um, often. I'm not so sure. Mc equals mc squared is pretty. Elegant. It's pretty direct. Uh, F equals ma. Yeah. Um, the uh, simple to understand. That's why Aristotle came up with survival of the fittest. <laughs> that's why. Th that's oh, also why it was oh, discovered by the ancient Greeks. Oh, well, it's elegant. <laughs> anyway, um, so I mean, my main concern here is: so we have all these alternative theories. How did mm. you? Distinguish between them, well, this, 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 and this computer simulation is not going this, to settle. This, this is the thing: is, is that it's not settled. But in doing this kind of simulation, we can work towards finding ways that we might be able to settle. Sure, maybe right. we can never settle it. Maybe it's one of those horrible things where we've permanently lost all the, the relevant data. Hmm. But if we are going to find the data, it's good to know what the possibilities are, so we yeah. can start excluding I'm, things. I completely agree with that. Oh, I'm just pointing out. It's yes, we're agreed. It's. <laughs> Rationalist instead of empiricist, right, right, which is always suspect. Owen, tell us about cell phones killing bees. Yeah, cell phones kill bees. <laughs> <laughs> cell phones don't kill bees, um, but the drinking game players have uh, now had two drinks. But no, the story isn't about bees. Uh, it's just about cell phones, and and there's some stupid government people doing stupid things about cell phones again, again, stole. Okay. Well, yeah, still. It should, it should be stolen instead of again. Yeah. For, for, well, for a change, it's not our government being stupid this time. This is an what? American government. Well, I mean, you know, we've already covered how our government is being stupid in this episode. But the, the, this particular story is about someone else's government, and that's the, okay. the U.S. Uh, and there is a representative, Dennis Kucinich. I think that's how his name pronounced. Kucinich. Kucinich. Yeah, Kucinich. I'm going to pronounce it Kukinich because <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Because <laughs> it's more accurate, I think. So, Representative Dennis Kukinich has put a bill before Congress. Uh, this was last week, I think it was on Friday, detailing the addition of warning labels to cellular devices sold in the United States. Hmm. What a great! What kind of warning? Like this could cause choking. Um. Well, okay, so, so here's what the, the bill is supposed to be for, all right? It's to examine, label, and communicate adverse human biological effects associated with exposure to electromagnetic fields from cell phones and other wireless devices oh. and for other purposes. Well, which to me, it seems like it's uh, pretty easy. I mean, for, uh, under the section, you know, if you're going to print out a label, you have a section saying adverse human biological effects, colon, there are none. And get on with your day. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. I mean, yeah, th th there, there yeah, it is. It's easy enough. But it, w obviously, what this is, this is about. He's he's obviously been approached by someone around the lobby that is mm. trying to to scare people into thinking that cell phones are bad for you. And now they're wasting taxpayer money and consumer money because now if this goes through, then they're going to have to label all of these products unnecessarily with with scary labels just to frighten people. Mm. Like. It's not as though we haven't been using these devices for the better part of 20 years right. now. Exactly. Widespread, everybody and their aunties and their dogs and their uncles, everyone's got a cell phone. Right. It's not like we're not doing a trial on this, you know, on a wide-scale global basis. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't get a bigger population group to test this on, and it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, bad effects don't happen. Yeah, yeah, we've we've done a whole bunch, and, and by we I mean human beings, not as in me and Owen. Yeah. <laughs> um, epidemiological studies on this, and there's just no evidence yeah. that, at the current threshold, I th I think the the there's a large Scandinavian study that mm. came out a, a year or two ago. Yeah, we covered that. that we yeah. covered that 
it got up to about 10 or 15 years now of, yeah. of, of cell phone use. So we can pretty safely say that for adults yeah. who use cell phones at a moderate rate for 15 years, there are no detectable mm-hmm. changes in your risk of developing any disease, including cancer. Right. Yeah. Now, it could be that all the negative effects happen at 25 years, sure. but, but it seems unlikely given that mm. r- radiation emitted by cell phones aren't ionizing and therefore cannot have biological effects. Yeah, it's implausible on the face of it. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Also, the, the um, comparison that I've, I've heard with this most often is with the... Uh, uh, tobacco industry and right. uh, yeah. anti-tobacco laws and things like that, but that that that's demonstrably quite different. Mm-hmm. When someone smokes, you can see them getting you know getting a smoker's hack. You can yeah. see them struggling to run and stuff like that. Yeah. You can see them getting cancer and emphysema. And uh, yeah, can- cancer emphysema maybe takes longer to yeah. notice. Mm-hmm. Takes you longer to show a causal link between the yeah. two. Yeah. But you can see immediate negative effects. Yeah. Yeah. Has anybody noticed? Direct negative effects on a phone, apart from maybe antisocial behavior. Well, people claim that they're they're electrosensitive, but the studies have shown that they're full of shit too. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the, 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 there is there is no widespread you know anyone can see it evidence. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is which is not a a definitive thing, but mm. I think I think it does. It, it it makes the comparison with the tobacco I'm thing not, I'm problematic. Not, I'm not hundred percent sure I agree with you because, I mean, the link between smoking and cancer was not obvious. Mm. I mean, it also took a large epidemiological study that last decade among doctors um, to demonstrate that that was true. I suppose the immediate plausibility, you're right, seems much higher for for smoking. Well, sure. I mean, because you're you're ingesting something, right? You're taking something into your body, which at least a priori you don't know it has a biological effect or not. Now, we know a priori that… that, that that radiation at the level that uh, cell phones are putting microwave radiation. microwave radiation at that level probably doesn't. I mean, it has no, no discernible effect. Not, probably doesn't really isn't. Yeah, that's true. It just, it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't have any effect on anything mm. resembling human tissue. It just it doesn't work that way. Mm. So, uh, basically, and this guy's a, de- a Democrat. Yes. Kucinich is a very odd one because he, I happen to know, because uh, I was watching something about him in the Colbert Report the other day. Ah, <laughs> um, nice, nice. He hold, or has held for a very long time um, a seat uh, in um, a very strong right-wing part of, what state's it from? Well, whatever state it is. Um, Wisconsin, I think. Could be. Mm. Um, and... It's been a mystery to people for years that this guy keeps getting reelected there because he is as left wing as as hmm. you know any, any Democrat can get. He's uh, a blatant hippie. Um, oh, he's, Ohio. He's he's, he's, oh, a, he's, he's a, a vegetarian. Oh, um, there we go. That's why he's against guns. He's against war. He's he's he seems yeah. like a nice enough guy. He seems you know well intentioned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I also happen to know that um, they've just had um, before he he introduced this bill even uh, there. Primaries for the local what's what's it the House of Representatives right. uh, election and in his district he's lost so wow. he's 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 out next anyway wow okay. um, so this is kind of the last thing he's doing really yeah. is this introducing this bill well since you say that that doesn't really surprise me I mean it's uh, from what I've heard about uh, American political leanings the 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 right wing tend to be more religious and the left wing tend to be more open to Hippiness, really, and this this whole cell phone damage thing is definitely a hippie, a hippie agenda. Side thing. Yeah, yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is this is squarely in in, in his uh, in his camp, I reckon. And mm. This is HuffPo nonsense as opposed to Fox News nonsense. 
Fox and Poe is not so bad all the time. Not all the time, but they neither is Fox News. Better. <laughs> it does some good stuff. Fox, Fox News often gets the weather right. If you are an American, you should probably uh, do something about that. Call your senator or congressman or whoever, however that works. You and know what I love? If this guy is trying to pass a crappy, shitty fucking bill right before he has to leave. Yeah. You know, leave the crap mm. for the next guy. Yeah. Well, he might not leave, right? He just didn't win the Democratic nomination. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he could he, still he, win he, as an independent. He, he, he may okay. do that. He may stand in a future election for something else. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. People go independent to keep their seats. It yeah. happens. Now, I'd like to put my own, put, put forward my own proposal for labels for cell phones. Mm-hmm. I should have a little picture of, of Dennis Kakinich on it. And underneath, it should say, if you see this man, throw your cell phone at him. <laughs> Especially if it's an iPhone. Yeah. You, you know what's funny? Yeah. I've, I've just remembered it was the Daily Show. I saw him on Not, Not Colbert Report. All right. Yeah. But on, on that episode, yeah. um, they had uh, uh, John Oliver breaking glass bottles over his head. So I've, <laughs> nice. I've, I've more or less seen that. Awesome. Yeah, I think it works quite well. He, yeah. he takes it surprisingly uh, um, uh, uh, happily. Oh, that's good. That's good. You just okay. throw more cell phones. All right. All right. Well, uh, uh Moving on to more killing bees with cell phones. Uh, <laughs> killing dinosaurs <laughs> with bees. You, you, you just, just try to get people drunk now. <laughs> I, I, I think we should change it to di- the bees, irradiated bees kill the dinosaurs. Yes, yeah. I think I think that's that's a good enough hypothesis. We'll add that to the list of possible <laughs> things that kill the dinosaurs. When, when did bees appear? Because um, I, I know flowers only appeared late in, was it the Cretaceous or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah so were they bees yet? Really? I don't know. Late in the Cretaceous? I thought they were like 150 million years ago or so. We'll, yeah. ha- we'll have to double check this. No, I, th- I think flowers with late Cretaceous, I don't, you know, land plants in general have been around for a long time before that, but flowers, yeah, I fl- think. Fl- flowers were a very specific and fiddly little thing. Yeah. Gee, guys, if only there was a worldwide source of information where we could look this information yeah. up. Can't if, reach. If, if it's too only, far. If only that were possible. If only it would be nice to, it would be nice to live in a world like that, in the Star Trek world, in the future. All right, but while we're talking about uh, <laughs> bees wiping out dinosaurs, let's look at, talk about some other things that might have wiped out dinosaurs. Um, and for a long time, it's been widely held that dinosaurs were wiped out by a giant meteor impact 65 million years ago. Yeah, even my son will tell you that. Yeah, yeah, because I've known that like forever. And, and that extinction event did not only killed off all the, the non-avian dinosaurs, but uh, as many as 75% of all living species on Earth at the time. It was one of the biggest uh, mass extinctions that we've ever seen. Well, you know, there have been a couple of really big ones, and that was one of the biggest. That's hectic. The biggest. It, was, it was hectic. It was a motherfucker. But now, in recent years, paleontologists have been trying to poke holes in that hypothesis, suggesting that a meteor impact alone isn't sufficient to have caused such extensive extinctions. <coughs> what have you got there, Mike? 125 million years. Oh, okay. Flower. Earliest fossil of a flower. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. Anyway, carry on. Um, it's... it's Okay, so now it's pretty well established that about 100,000 years before the Chicxulub impact, there was a period of ridiculously hectic active volcanism in what is modern-day India. And that's been the target of much of the investigation, um, all of which so far has turned up very little. And because the thing is, what, what paleontologists needed was a single geological column that included deposits from both events in the same place. And those rocks should be rich in fossils so they could see the the discontinuity of species over time. So, you know, they can see exactly, you know, which, when the, the volcanism happened, they could see the Chicxulub impact happen, and they could see which which species 
predated the both of those events and which ones didn't survive beyond. Not asking too much. No, no. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a pretty rare thing, except now they found it. Yay! Cool. Yeah. So Thomas Tobin and, and his team at the University of Washington in Seattle have been examining some rocks found in Seymour Island, which is just off the Antarctic Peninsula. Hmm. Now these rocks were laid down in a shallow sea during the late Cretaceous. And they recorded both the Indian volcanism and the Chicxulubi impact, along with a whole mess of underwater animals. Cool. And because it was Very a, nice. Because it was a shallow sea, it would have been particularly vulnerable mm. to, to, uh, to what's it, climatic change. And true enough, it looks like the Indian volcanism affected Earth's climate significantly, to the extent that the, the polar ocean, which is what was there at the time, um, increased in temperature around 7 degrees Celsius. Wow. I know, right? That's mm. fucking hectic. And that would obviously have been catastrophic to anybody living in that ocean. So there you have it. Yeah. Sure. And, that's then, and then what? The, the, the meteor finishes off uh, anyone who's left? Pretty much, yeah. So, so 150,000 years later, uh, the Chicxulub impact happened, and that did serious damage to the rest of the species, specifically the ones living on the land, because they wouldn't have been as badly affected by the, the Indian volcanism. So it looks like what, what they were is there were two separate events. It was like a one two punch. That both contributed to this huge mass extinction, hmm. and that that was the uh, the double whammy that gave us mammals the Lebensraum that we needed to establish our dominance over the land. Hmm. <laughs> but the, 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 thank you, Adolf. Very good, yeah. There there are still other other ideas to explore. Though. The, mm. Those aren't the only two. Right, right. Um, so it it could be a combination of fifty trillion different uh, factors. Sure, potentially. Um, but you're saying this 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 volca- uh, volcanism one was definitely massively huge well well they knew that the volcanism was happening and that it was one of the leading alternative hypotheses that mm. this was probably one of the other major okay. contributing factors right. but but don't think don't think volcano as in a big mountain mm. yeah think, no, no, no. it's it's flood basalt which is literally it's lava pouring out of the ground right. and covering thousands of kilometers of land in kilometers thick of lava right, so exactly. we're talking massive tremendously preposterously large eruptions if it yeah. were to happen today human civilization would end yeah it's, it's one of the plausible ways civilization could come to an yeah. end completely yeah along with being an, an asteroid impact yeah, that would kill us yeah the, the stories you've heard about yellowstone uh, and how that could go up that's the kind of super volcano just, yeah, just yeah. much worse yeah yeah and over over a very long period of time over like fifty thousand years and and the idea is this all this volcanism, of course, is accompanied by volcanic gases, right. and these mm-hmm. uh, volcanic gases. I've heard two different things here. On the one hand, I've seen people saying it would result in cooling, mm. and but this recent study, the one you refer to, Ern, is um, by Tobin in paleogeography, paleoclimatology, right. and paleoecology. Mm-hmm. A very snappy name they've got. Um, they are suggesting it was global warming, at yeah. least at the poles. Right. They're quite careful to point out their results might mm-hmm. only be relevant for the poles. Right, right. Well, what it might be, what it might have been, is something like what uh, what we could be looking at here in, in our, with our own climate change today. Is, is there's a, a, a brief moment of intense uh, global warming, which then triggers a, a feedback loop, which turns into an ice yeah. age. It could yeah. have been something like that. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is interesting. I. It's very difficult from the outside to determine. So, really, this this new scientist article is based on two journal articles, and the right. other one is an Earth and Planetary Science Letters. Oh. 
written by Keller and colleagues, um, both sort of supporting the idea that these um, these Deccan eruptions were responsible, at least for some part of the um, extinctions that happened. And the second right. paper is really interesting because it demonstrates a 50% extinction rate in strata mm. that are earlier than the Chichilub asteroid impact. Right, exactly. So, in other words, we have a chronology now where there are extinctions happening before the asteroid hit, mm. which means it couldn't have caused it in the first place. Right, so, right. whereas before we just had this this KT boundary. Mm. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's now been been renamed to the it used to be that just the Cretaceous tertiary boundary, mm. but it's the the new fancy name if you're in the know is Cretaceous Paleogene, the KPG mm-hmm. um, boundary, and this was thought to be one extension of it. But yeah. as we've gotten greater resolution, mm. um, we've we've perhaps identified a a mass extension because of the Deccan volcanism. Mm which resulted in mass extension of marine life right. followed by a asteroid that killed followed and then killed the dinosaurs yeah, yeah. what was that about a hundred thousand years later or something right, like exactly, that yeah. Yeah. which is pretty awesome but it's really hard to tell whether this is this is going to hold up because this yeah. debate is quite fierce right mm-hmm. and the people on the other side are I'm, i've no doubt are going to come back and, and poke holes in this mm. Well, in sure. this research, so it's it's hard to evaluate it really, yeah. but it's interesting to know about this debate, and mm-hmm. it seems to in the last couple of years to have shifted, yeah, yeah, in favor of the multiple causes causes yeah. explanation. Yeah, it it definitely seems unlikely that we're going to go back to a single cause. Yeah, I mean, from from my point of view, as a lay dinosaur enthusiast. This is the, the first uh, piece of evidence I've seen that's really convinced me to abandon the single cause hypothesis. Mm. And, you know, I know all about this shit because I've been studying dinosaurs since I was five years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> so I know all I, about dinosaurs. I, I was actually watching Jurassic Park again last night. Nice. So. Well, that's, which, a, that's an important part of studying. Which, which one? You're going to tell me some about Crystal Skulls and Judge Jar Binks next time. No, 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 no. Jurassic Park 3 was awesome. It wasn't... Look, look. Jurassic Park 2 and 3 were okay. There was nothing nothing horrible about them. They weren't Star Wars Episode 1, but they're just not My favorite moment was when Jar Jar Binks said, Clever girl. (laughs) (laughs) Misha, I think you're a clever girl. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, you're preposterous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Seriously, Jurassic Park changed my life. Uh, important, very important movie. Yeah, yeah. Sci-fi and fantasy quote. Aren't? Yes. So uh, this week's uh, quote comes to us again from uh, Kevin Turnus, and it is again from this, the US version of the Eleventh Hour series, season one, episode fifteen, the episode entitled Electro, <laughs> and it's again said by Doctor Hood, and it goes like this: Nothing beats the power of nature for putting our self-importance in check. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, we have some announcements. Doctor Who? Doctor Hood. Okay. So, so our first announcement is in Joburg, and that is not strictly a science or skepticism thing, but it does relate to members of this podcast, so we're putting it in here. <laughs> and that is the... And we couldn't stop over own even if we tried. No, because I would if just... If we tried to tackle him... I would just record it afterwards. <laughs> Put it in. <laughs> so, this is the science fiction and fantasy... Uh, it's their annual Star Trek mini convention. And it's happening on Saturday, the 18th of August at 10 a.m. And it'll carry on until about 7 o'clock at night. Oh, my God. It'll be at the Vitz Medical School. These things are always a lot of fun. We, we 
watch some Star Trek and a couple of speakers, including this year, will be including me. Um, and mm-hmm. what are you talking about? I'm going to be talking about the transporter and related technologies. So you're going to demonstrate why it's so implausible. Um, no, he's going to transport some shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, going to, I'm going to beam shit totally. all over the place. <laughs> Have you read the the what's his name the book? Yeah, I have what, what I found more interesting was um the, the metaphysics of Star Trek. Uh, ah. the, the main title was Is Data Human? Henry Richards? Richard Henry's? Something like that. <laughs> I forget the name. Philosophy and Star Trek. Yeah. The world was empty before that book was written. Yeah. Mm. It was a really wow. good book. It was a good book. Um but yes, yeah, no, well, the Lawrence Crisis book was good too. But uh, I, I think I go into a little bit more detail in my talk than either of them did on, on the transporter. So it should be good stuff. <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say that I'm the world's expert on the transporter. The world's expert. <laughs> world expert on the transporter. I think that's safe to say. Mm-hmm. Star Trek transporter. Yes, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, the transporter with a capital T. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, come along to that. And the second announcement for this week is also for Joburg, Skeptics in the Park. Sunday, the 19th of August at 1 o'clock at the Rose Garden in Johannesburg Botanical Gardens in Emirantia. All right, and our, our third uh, announcement is in Pretoria, and that is Skeptics in the Pub, which is happening at Saturday the 8th, on Saturday, the 18th of August at 12.30. The venue is to be advised. So if you can't make it to the Star Trek Minicon, then head over to the Skeptics in the Pub in Pretoria. Cool. And also be busy, sure to, busy, busy. Yes, indeed. So also be sure to go to Facebook and vote on which venue you think it should be at. Did you just direct and, people um, to Facebook? Leave a comment on mm. Owen's profile. Yeah, Owen's go ahead. What? Go ahead. Good luck with that. <laughs> add, add Owen to Facebook, and um, you can't find especially him. if you're a, a good-looking female, and uh, huh. proposition him with naked pictures of yourself. Huh. I think I've just converted. I'm a, I'm a little conflicted now. <laughs> well, let, let's see. Let's do some science. If that happens, we'll see what happens. All right. Um, so making a fake profile and sending it to porn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Hello, my name's Emily, and I have really big tits, and I'm stupendously good looking. And hmm. smart. And smart. I like Star Trek. Uh, and I like being naked. No such person exists. I like transporting naked. No such person exists. Oh, Dr. Spock. Oh, yeah. It's Mr. Spock. Dr. Doctor Spock. Dr. Spock is somebody else. Dr. Spock's the guy who writes the baby books. Yeah. Who's the, <laughs> oh, Dr. Spock with the baby books. I understand. Oh, Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> Block. <laughs> use, your, you use, your, use your ears on me, baby. Block. All right, done. Okay. All right, Chris, have you got a link of the week? George, I'm big spawn. Oh my God, I hope it exists. Rule 34. It almost certainly does. <laughs> Michael hits And now it does. Let's not, not, let's not search. Yeah, please, not on my work. I would look for George or being spawned for me, please. <laughs> no. That's never going to happen. I, I can't type that. <laughs> I can't do that. Captain George or being spawned. No, I can't do that. So we should do that. Dress him up as a Star Trek dude and um, make porn. Good luck with that. Him and who's the hot doctor lady? Which one? I don't know. In, in Next Generation. Beverly Crusher? I don't know. Whatever. Her. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, Chris, do you have a link of the week for us? Sure. <laughs> um, it's called Kerbal Space Program. It's like Kerbal. Kerbal okay. with a B. Sorry. Yeah. Um, didn't get it. Oh, okay. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a, a 
thing. Little little game, um, yeah. independently uh, produced game. Mm-hmm. That's some guys working on at the moment. Um, it's available as a, a, a beta um, test version at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the rough idea of it is that you are in charge of this uh, space program. Mm. You design and build rockets, and then you fly them up. Cool. Okay. And it, it's kind of got two two elements to it at the moment. One is the assembling and, and the, the engineering side of things. Right. And then it's got a little bit of a rough flight simulator aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then apparently the finished version will have set missions that you have to do, landing on the moon and, and keeping a budget and that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, but yeah. at the moment, it's a, it's a lot of fun just playing around some sort of sandbox style with it. Mm. Um, seeing, you know, the, the craziest, the biggest rockets you can make, the smallest rockets that do the most. Um, you can go land on the moon even if there isn't a, a formal mission to do so. Mm. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun, but the physics in it is is pretty realistic, pretty good, mm-hmm. and it's a great way to learn about how rockets fly, how space flight is done, why orbits work the way they mm. do, and, and why they don't work the way you expect them to, and right, things like that. Right. Um, mm. Just through trial and error, um, mm. I've, I've I've got a, a couple kids um, to, to to play around with it before, and uh, it's a, it's a good teaching tool as well. Awesome, but just playing with yourself is always. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, you yep, sit yep. in front okay. of your computer and play with yourself, do you? Yes, yes. With, with, with my little rockets. <laughs> oh, wow. I found Jar Jar Binks porn on the internet. Oh, God. Oh, God. Let me see. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. No. Really? It's really, really like crappy hand drawn cartoon shit. It's awful. Uh, I would presume so. Well, some I, of those I, I, beady I, I, things. That go in people's anuses. Anal beads. Anal beads. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I, I assume George Lucas keeps the good quality stuff in a vault in the Skywalker range. I imagine so. Yeah. All right. So, Michael, do you have a link of the week for us? I do. But before I do that, I just went on um, the Mars thing, and they have something new. Namely, a high-res picture of its descent stage picturing its heat shield being discarded. Awesome. Oh, very oh, nice. Very nice. Gorgeous. Cool. And from the Twitter feed, it looks like they're going to have a high-res descent video. So they're busy oh, downloading that at the moment. Nice. So I, I assume you've seen the low-res version, which which is a bit vague yeah. and blurry and you can't see too much. It'll yeah, be, ni- be nice to see a great I, I did see the the, the, uh, the one that it came out right after they, they landed, I think. It was about a day ago, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, but now it's going to be the high-res one. Awesome. And it's the one frame that they've released is freaking awesome. Yeah. yeah. Epic. But unfortunately, their download speed is really slow. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, So we're just going to have to wait. It's got to travel a long way. Bandwidth in space sucks. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. somewhat better than here in South Africa. Yeah. But um, not, not by much. Yeah. We can't all live in Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, sorry. All right. Okay. So my link of the week is to an absolutely superbly wonderful piece by Atul Gawande in The New Yorker. So, Hmm. if you don't know Atul Gawande, he's one of the sort of regular writers on The New Yorker. So, you you know, they they publish those 10,000 word or so uh, non-fiction pieces every couple of months by a a series of different authors, including Gladwell. And uh, Gawande is one of them, and he's their, as it were, their medical guy. And he's a surgeon, so he's an actual, you know, properly trained doctor, and he's he's an extremely intelligent person. Mm-hmm. He's written several really really important books, but the most recent 
piece he's written. Um, it's called, it is um, Big Med. Restaurant chains have managed to combine quality control, cost control, and innovation. Can healthcare? And he's hmm. really, he's, he does something really interesting, which I haven't, you know, ever thought about. So there's a chain of, of fairly upmarket ish, but mass produced upmarket restaurants in the United States called the Cheesecake Factory. I right. think one of the characters in Big Bang Theory works at the Cheesecake Factory. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. The blondie girl, what's her name? Yeah. Penny. Penny, yes, Penny. Um, and literally what he does is he goes and he examines how the Cheesecake Factory manages to produce um, such good quality and consistent food um, in all its uh, restaurants mm -hmm. over the whole country and what management systems they have in place. And he uses this, as, as it were, as an analogy for, for uh, medical care. So... As you know, medical care in the United hmm. States is an absolute farce because it takes a huge chunk of the budget and the results they get, right. not not not, not the budget of their GDP, right. and the results they get is not nearly commensurate with the amount of money they spend. If you hmm. compare it to other countries like Great Britain, yeah. they have far worse outcomes in, on, on, on several measures and yet spend more money. Yeah. How, how should not be considered uh, representative hmm. of, of the healthcare system in the United or States? ER or ER yeah. most, or, most or of the TV. medical drama yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, most patients do not get five of the best doctors in the world looking mm. after them. <laughs> right. So um, anyway – he goes to the Cheesecake Factory, interviews a bunch of the things, uh, the guys, interviews the chefs, and, and looks at their, their method of handling the food. And mm -hmm. the th interesting thing is it it requires human judgment to make a meal properly. It, mm -hmm. It's it's unique. It's it's challenging every day. And, and, and yet they manage to produce this consistent quality. Wow. And he r reckons healthcare can learn a lot from things like the Cheesecake Factory. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at how there's a big trend in the United States for medical doctors to join big chains as it were so hmm. the trend used to be that doctors work for themselves right. um, sort of independent family doctors but there's been a strong trend in recent times for doctors to be affiliated to large chains mm -hmm. and these large change chains are now starting to manage people okay. so it's moved away from the you know we provide you with a bunch of facilities mm -hmm. at the hospital and you do your own thing kind of model right, which right. is predominant here in South Africa yeah, even yeah. still to now it being much a much more managed system. So they even have some hospitals now have a I forget the, the name for it, but but like a central ICU mm -hmm. where they have camera systems and microphones and also in mm. all the hospital beds and there's a central um like is it all like a war room mm. in one place where there are people sitting in this sort of telepresence place. Mm -hmm. They're sitting there and they're checking up that the mm. doctors and nurses are actually doing their jobs on all the hospitals. So they wow. can do virtual rounds. Awesome. And then they can advise people and say, well, you've forgotten this and how about that? And all sorts of really interesting innovations like that. Mm. And also about the standardization of care. So uh, like he, his mother had a, a, a knee replacement done. Mm -hmm. And he examines how the doctor that she used had a standard program for how it gets done, and, and how, you know, which people do what at, at what time, and the outcomes that person is getting with mm -hmm. his, his program is much better than anyone else, etc. Mm -hmm. So it really is a superb piece. Awesome. Um, and if you don't know Gawande, really, you should you should read his, his other stuff. He's, mm. he's written some truly magnificent articles yeah. over the last couple of years. Yeah, he's good. 
Awesome. Thank you. Angela, have you got a link for us? I have indeed. What is your link? My link is a very cool website um, which shows the landing of the Curiosity rover in detail, but it's like a really nicely animated website and you scroll down and mm. it's and things change and it gives you information about each of the stages and what had to happen and what was going to happen next and it's very nice lots of fun full explanation good yep excellent cool Owen? Well, I have a link too. (laughs) (laughs) Do? I do. Um, And my link comes from cracked.com and it's an article entitled Seven Ridiculous Things People Believe About the God Particle. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, if you know anything about the Higgs boson, you've probably had to have several conversations over the last few, couple of weeks with people who think they know what the God part, or what the, the Higgs boson is. the last couple of years. Well, yeah, years, but particularly in the last couple of weeks about people throwing around the term God particle. My, my favorite quote from this article is like goes like this. The idea of a God particle is useful when you're learning about the Higgs boson because it tells you to stop learning from that person. Very good. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so uh, I recommend that you take a look at that and then you'll be better equipped to deal with those stupid conversations in the weeks to come. Cool. Thank you. Great. Thank you. So I think that's it. Um, Chris, where can people find you on the internet? I'm still at fjordsofafrica.blogspot.com. Nice. I see you've been writing quite a lot lately. Yeah, went a little bit crazy. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And Mike, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Google Plus, I suppose. Nice. Best place. Yeah, it is the best place. Kind of. Angela, where can people find you on the internet? Um, just Google my name, you'll find me. Nice. Yeah. And you can find all of my stuff at owenswart.org. Awesome. Yeah. That just redirects to Google Plus. That does. Okay. Yeah. Just Google Owen's name. Yeah, you can do that too. Exactly. Well, in fact, go to Bing. www.bing.com. <laughs> or Yahoo. Yahoo's even better. Well, Yahoo just returns Bing's results anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, so Yahoo, use Yahoo. <laughs> I wonder because it would irritate Owen the most. Oh, I wonder if I'm even visible to Bing. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> well, I've hidden myself in Facebook search and you know, everything else I mean is, is in Google. I probably am invisible to Bing. Are you still on MySpace? <laughs> I think I do have a MySpace account. <laughs> oh, so finding that shit. I mean, I haven't like logged in there in years, but I think I still have one that I don't remember closing down. All right, then that's all we have for you this week. Thanks to my co-hosts, our guest, and to you, the listeners. Be sure to join us again next week for more Consilience. You have been listening to Consilience. Our website is conciliencecast.wordpress.com and you can send us an email consiliencecast at gmail.com Theme music is The Optimist by Zoe Keating from freemusicarchive.org